Welcome to our podcast, The Ark Insider. I'm Karen Allen and I'm speaking to you from Johannesburg. Tara O'Connor, my co-presenter, is the Managing Director of ARC, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm, Africa Risk Consulting, and she joins us from London. The ARC Insider aims to offer some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation to stimulate ideas among those who live, work and breathe African affairs. We'll touch on some of the events that have been in the news, as well as ongoing topics of interest. Cara, hi, welcome. Hello, Karen. Interesting times. Many countries emerging from lockdown now, uh, and they're beginning to digest the massive economic consequences of COVID-19 in physical terms. Now, we've heard a lot about where you live and how you've seen fewer and fewer ambulances at some point in time. I took a walk around the streets here in my neighborhood in Johannesburg, and I was staggered to see how many businesses have folded. And of course, the big news this week in South Africa, Tara, is that Tito Mumbweni, the finance minister, delivered his supplementary budget review to parliament. Now, in it, he warned that the already ailing South African economy was set to contract by 7.2% this year. And he warned there'd be much more better medicine to swallow, tough structural reforms ahead. And he said that South African debt is forecast at 80% of GDP. What struck you this week? That's quite something. Well, in Egypt, Prime Minister Mustafa Madbouli has announced new measures to ease the lockdown, including the cancellation of a partial curfew. Although local sources report that there is a, the general repression continues, including of journalists and anybody that's critical of the government. And the next thing is that the virus continues to strike at leadership level as Senegal's President Macky Sall is one who has had to go into self-quarantine after coming into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. And again in Nigeria, uh, most importantly, the disease has claimed the life of another senior member of Nigeria's ruling party, which has added to an almighty internal battle that's going on uh, for control both of the all the ruling party and where the ruling party is taking the country. Nigeria's taken a real hit, hasn't it, with COVID-19? We've talked in the past about other senior leaders who've lost their lives to it in Nigeria. Well, let's take a broader look, Tara, at other stories which have been in the news. A man being held on suspicion of killing three people at a park in Reading last night has been identified as a 25-year-old originally from Libya. There's been widespread international condemnation of China following a parliamentary vote to impose new national security laws on Hong Kong. Thousands of Burundians on Friday lined the road to the capital, Gitega, as the body of former President Pierre Nkurunziza was escorted under heavy security for a state funeral after his sudden death earlier this morning about their health and safety as minibus taxi operators continue to fully load their vehicles. At least 46 of the United States are seeing surges in cases or holding steady. Only four states are showing a decline, an alarming spike since this time last week. And the consequences could prove even deadlier. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar telling me that the window to take action and slow the spread is closing. Well, in the midst of this, Tara, 
Ordinary life, of course, has had to resume. There's been another election on this side of the globe, this time the rerun in Malawi. By the time the podcast goes out, of course, we should have a result. But indeed, if Chakwera does win, it'll be the first time in Africa that a disputed election will have been overturned and power gone to the opposition. Very interesting. I have two quick stories. So in Algeria, what's, what we've seen happen is a is the court has actually... A court has imprisoned a long-standing uh, anti-government activist for a year and others have been arrested, really in a clampdown on uh, the Hirak uh, protest movement. And Karen, if you remember what the Hirak was, it was most of last year you have young people in Algeria coming out onto the streets every Friday, um, which is the traditional Muslim day of prayer, but using that day to block the streets, to stop working in protest against the military-backed government. And they had they were beginning to have success. And, and of course, then COVID-19 has enabled the government to use the health, health emergency to clamp down. But a, a good news story that I do think uh, is also one worthwhile um, bringing out, and it's because, again, because of COVID and the high demand for digital services in the pandemic has seen a West African sonata which is a telecoms company, um, actually seek to get a bond on the regional stock exchange. It'll be raising a bond of about $170 million on the bourse at Abidjan, which is a first and is very good news both for the regional bourse and good news in difficult times. Yep, good to have some positive news at the moment, definitely. Thanks, Tara. You're listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen, in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. We're talking about recent stories in the news from across the African continent and continuing to touch on the impact of the coronavirus. Now, when you think of Mauritius, what comes to mind? Promotional videos capture sun-kissed beaches, crystalline waters, exquisite wildlife. Well, 20% of the island nation's GDP comes from tourism, or at least that was the case before COVID-19. But even before the pandemic, this once bastion of stability and good governance has been in the news for all the wrong reasons. To delve deeper, we're delighted to be joined on the Ark Insider by Kevin Tiravendigam, a Mauritian based here in South Africa with an impressive career in the international financial and management consultancy sector. Yes, and Kevin has also has investment interests in shopping malls across Africa. And perhaps you may have come across him in other spheres because he has also developed quite a social media following now for his commentary on events in Mauritius. Welcome. So welcome, Kevin. Hello, everyone. So Kevin, trouble in paradise. First, the European Commission has added the Indian Ocean Island to its high-risk list of countries because of inadequate anti-money laundering controls. And secondly, the African Development Bank has debarred a Danish contractor for paying members of the Mauritian administration for access to uh, confidential tender documents. 
What does that say about Mauritius well, I now? I think it's, it's sort of all happening at the same time. And uh, it sounds like, you know, if you look at back over the last 10 to 20 years, you know, Mauritius has done pretty well in the international media. You know, uh, um, it's, it's very often, um, you know, uh, talked about as, as, you know, the best country in terms of ease of doing business in Africa, uh, best country in terms of governance and transparency. And then obviously, you know, the economic pillars have done pretty well, you know, with when we talk about Mauritius, we talk about tourism, We've, we talk about successful, you know, textile sector, and then also over the last 10, 15 years, the financial services sector. So there's always been good news out of Mauritius. And it seems that, you know, I don't know if it's related or not, but most likely not. But, uh, you know, during this COVID-19 uh, lockdown, it seems, you know, a lot of bad news, unfortunately, is coming out of Mauritius. And, and obviously, those two that you've mentioned are extremely worrisome. You've also seen, I think, the Deputy Prime Minister has just been sacked as a kind of a response. Um, but what do you see with the double whammy? I think, you know, with COVID-19, you've had such a, a big hit to the economy. But this is really very unwelcome in the wake of COVID, isn't it? Absolutely, Tara. I mean, this is the first first time ever over the last four decades that A, the island is facing a recession and B, it's a very deep recession. So we're talking about potentially negative growth of around 10 to 15 percent. So it's just bad timing when you look at all this happening, because, you know, at this point in time, you need a government, you need ministers that are basically going to focus on um, saving the economy and doing the right things, you know, making sure that all the sectors are going to be safe, making sure that basically people's jobs are being safe, and then also coming up with new strategies for the island. The financial services sector is a very substantial part of the economy. And just for our listeners who may not know much about Mauritius, how has that come about? How has Mauritius become the launch pad for European and South African businesses to invest on the rest of the continent? Interestingly, if you look at the, uh, you know, the financial services in Mauritius, if you look at Mauritius itself, you know, um, it's very far from from Europe. You know, it's, it's 11 hours uh, to Paris, 12 hours to, to London. Having said that, I think we've done very well since the, the early 1990s. The financial services sector started in 1990s. Back then, Mauritius became, um, because of its double taxation treaty, very favorable double taxation treaty with India, became the predominant main foreign direct investor into India. So, so lots of investment uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000, Mauritius knew at some point in time, you know, as India was getting bigger, was doing better economically, was becoming also the flavor of the month with global investors. So Mauritius basically said that, you know, they couldn't rely solely on India. Hence, you know, they sort of tried to recalibrate their strategies by positioning Mauritius as a hub uh, for Africa. They've done pretty well over the last 10 years. A lot of investments into Africa uh, from investors based in London, in, in Europe, generally speaking, or even in the States. Uh, route their investment via Mauritius. So that's a sector that's done extremely well. Having said that, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, the institutions themselves haven't done the necessary upgrade in terms of procedures, processes, and then more importantly, haven't done sufficient upgrade in terms of human capital. And today, when you hear about Mauritius being blacklisted by the European Commission, um, and also the fact that, for example, the UK via, via CDC have literally chosen Rwanda 
as their uh, jurisdiction for Africa, it's coming at the wrong point in time. It's interesting you said, you know, the the, the favoured country as Rwanda has become the darling of, of, of the West in many ways. I mean, why is that? Is it because it's just seen as cleaner, even though there are sort of human rights concerns? And that's, that's not to say there haven't been human rights concerns in Mauritius, but not to the same level. Well, I guess, you know, when you look at global investment, there's always a twist of geopolitics as well. I mean, if you look at, for example, investments from Europe, if you include, um, you know, UK pre Brexit, for example, you know, all these investments typically <laughs> rooted via Mauritius. Uh, uh, today, you know, you see the world being, you know, carved into many shapes and forms. For example, the fact that you've got Brexit, what's happening now, you know, people are trying or rather, you know, um, or, or politicians from, from, from Europe or from the UK or elsewhere are trying to secure also their piece of cake in Africa. And, and, and it totally makes sense, for example, to use Rwanda because Rwanda has done amazing progress over the last 20 years, um, have done amazing progress not only in terms of governance, in terms of transparency, but also they, they walk the talk. I think this is where Mauritius is lacking currently is we are saying we, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to put a lot of things uh, right. But the issue is today, both I think the European Commission and even the UK as well are looking forward to rather see action from the government of Mauritius, see action from institutions of Mauritius rather, rather than just saying that we're going to do things better, they need to see tangible things being done. And Kevin, how much is Mauritius being tainted by the sort of state capture, the kind of state capture corruption uh, that we've seen in South Africa? If we look over the last 10 years, um, you've had two elections, uh, three elections actually, and and um, at each election you've had, had change of government. Um, so at least the good thing is democracy is functioning in Mauritius. You know, H- Having said that, I think the last 10 years there's been lots of political fights. So the, the successive regimes have basically focused on survival and the current regime, you know, they've been in power since 2015. At the last election it was survival at all costs. The speed and the frequency of these corruption cases is just too many in such a short period of time. And and unfortunately, all these are playing against the reputation of the island. Um, So there's quite an interesting parallel with what South Africa experienced between 2009, 2017. You know, I I remember uh, being in South Africa, you know, uh, corruption was pretty much a fait divers in a way. And that's the thing with Mauritius. It's doing a lot of damage to the brand of Mauritius, Mauritius internationally. That's why, for example, I wasn't surprised that last week CDC signed an MOU with Rwanda to position Kigali as the inter- international financial se- centre for Africa. That's CDC, which is the uh, is the British investment. Uh, fund. We have heard a lot of alarm that's spreading not just around financial institu- institutions in Europe, but also amongst the island's financial sector in the wake of the blacklisting. What can they possibly do to right this uh, this disastrous situation? Unfortunately, over the last uh, five or six years, um, a number of politically exposed persons um, from uh, mainland Africa have landed in Mauritius and have unfortunately been treated even as VIPs. 
you know, we've seen it in other countries. Take an example of Angola. I mean, the current president, uh, I can't remember, was it last year or the year before, actually did the right thing by putting people, you know, taking them to court, you know. Um, and these were people who were very close to the regime, the previous regime. So I think in Mauritius, the government and the institutions would have to make a call, you know, of getting some of these people out of Mauritius. I mean, the thing is, you're either clean or you're not. You cannot be, unfortunately, in between. Can I ask you something about that, Kevin? I mean, it, Mauritius has always been the playground of wealthy South Africans. And obviously, a lot of uh, South Africans have invested their money in Mauritius. Um, I'm not suggesting all of that's dirty money. I'm sure most of it isn't. Um, it's interesting, I've seen as an attempt to try and sort of recover some economic ground. The Mauritian government seems to be bending over backwards to try and get more South Africans to come back to Mauritius to invest. They've relaxed the visa regimes, I understand, and permanent residency arrangements for South Africans. Do they make up an important part of that sort of foreign Absolutely. Sector? I mean, South Africans coming to Mauritius and, and residing in Mauritius either to live in full time, to retire in Mauritius or to invest in Mauritius or to invest via Mauritius to, um, um, into Africa or elsewhere totally makes sense. I, I think, you know, one is the proximity of Mauritius. And then secondly, the fact that, you know, for, for decades, Mauritius has been a prime resort destination for South Africans. So if you've made your wealth in South Africa, it makes sense, for example, to diversify part of your portfolio outside South Africa. I mean, we know very well 10, 10 or 15 years ago in South Africa, it was very difficult or 20 years ago, it was almost impossible to take money out of South Africa. But we've seen the relaxation of foreign exchange control out of South Africa. And that basically gave the opportunity for South Africans to move part of their money and to have some kind of diversification into Mauritius. So we've seen a number of South Africans doing that. And I think the potential is much bigger than what has been done to date, you know. And then also we've seen a lot of South African corporates themselves using Mauritius as a platform to basically expand into the rest of Africa and even go beyond Africa to, to Europe, for example, using Mauritius as a platform. So I think that's going to remain and, and Mauritius cannot do without South Africa because A, South Africa provides around 15% of the tourist arrivals to Mauritius and then B, you know, it's a big supplier of, of manufacturing products and goods. South Africa manufactures a lot of stuff. Mauritius imports a lot of things, basic stuff, food stuff, uh, mechanical uh, um, engineering stuff, etc. So Mauritius relies on South Africa and I think that proximity needs to be enhanced going forward. So there are lots of opportunities for Mauritius and South Africa by working together. Something like 80,000 people are employed by tourism in Mauritius and it accounts for 20% of GDP. What's the outlook now for, for tourism and its related industry? It's, it's extremely sad what's happening because the first time in history of the tourism sector, which is 70 year old, I would say, uh, whereby all the hotels are closed or have been closed since March, Obviously, it employs around 80,000 people. Um, indirectly, we can even go up to 120,000. So we're talking around 15% of the workforce in Mauritius and predominantly the youth as well. A lot of youth work, work in, in the tourism sector. And then also, you know, it's an extremely important revenue earner for the island. I mean, you're talking around 60 billion rupees, which, which is almost 12% 
of Forex. Unfortunately, as we speak today, um, we don't have visibility, clear visibility as to when things are going to go back to normal, but also when we're going to be opening the borders. The good news is Mauritius has been COVID-free for the last month and a half. So the potential strategy might be to open the borders um, and welcoming, you know, the nearby islands, for example, Reunion Island or people from Seychelles, for example, flying to Mauritius. But that's probably about 10, 12 percent of the whole market. And then obviously Europe, which constitute around 70 to 80 percent of the Mauritian market for the Mauritian market, um, you know, will probably open up with selective countries probably would be Germany first and then followed by Italy, France, um, the UK. I'm not too sure yet how, how that's going to pan out, uh, probably a month or two later. Uh, but the UK is a very important market. The hoteliers are ready. I mean, they've, they've, they've implemented a lot of protocols. Um, the airport managers are also ready. Um, it's just the government to be clear and precise as to when they might be opening. Having said that, we've got another major issue, which is the national airline, uh, Air Mauritius, is currently under administration. So that's another really, really tricky piece of the puzzle that needs to be sorted out. They would probably keep the main routes to Europe uh, and they might cut other routes, for example, to China. And there's potential, um, potentially there are talks about partnership with bigger airlines or potentially equity investors coming into Air Mauritius. Um, so, so a lot of unknowns. Um, so my gut feel tells me it probably it will probably take a good four to five years to be back to where we were in 2019. So, so it's going to be slow recovery. Yeah. We can't let you go, Kevin, without asking uh, the COVID-19 question, which we ask of all our guests. What have you learned uh, a bit during this time of COVID-19 about yourself or observations about the world around you? Gosh, it's a lot. I think I've got a long list, but I'm just going to take one or two. Um, a is, you know, we've been working nonstop, you know, and then you just realize that you don't need a lot of stuff to, to live, <laughs> you know. So for me, that, that's number one. And number two, um, I used to be, you know, on a plane every second week. Um, and, and today I realize with technology, again, it's something which we knew again. But but today, you know, for me, it doesn't make sense to fly as, a, as, as I used to. Ten years from now, we're going to look at 2020 and we would say that was a new chapter turning uh, of the page. And I'm a firm believer of that new norm. So at my age, I need to be part of that new new normal. I think we need to change the ways we do things, the way we do business, and also the way we, we live on a day to day. And that's why I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do going forward. Yeah. Thank you very much, Kevin, for sharing those insights with us. And I was going to ask you the sort of final Mauritian question, which is who killed the dodo? <laughs> Who killed a dodo? <laughs> well, history says it, it's the Dutch, uh, but but I'm I'm worried about you know the dead as the dodo. It, I would hate Mauritius to be dead as a dodo. So I think I would rather say from the dodo, can we use this COVID-19 and all this crisis that's currently happening in Mauritius to be like the phoenix and the revival, rather. How polished. You should be a politician. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> Kevin, it's great to talk great to you. Great to talk to you both. Thanks, Kevin. Wonderful.
We need to hear more from some of the islands. Um, Mauritius, I don't know, but Reunion I've been to, and it's an extraordinary place. Absolutely. And also, any excuse to visit is, uh, is my mantra when it comes to Mauritius. Lovely to do the podcast with you once again today. Thank you, Karen. It's been great as usual. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at ARC produces a daily chronology of events as well as reports and briefings about the region. You can sign up for these at info at Consulting. that's all one word, dot com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address. And please do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Stay safe and bye for now.